0: Welcome back to The Pilgrim Soul, a podcast about the journey of faith in the world of today. I'm your host, Adriana. I'm Sophia. And I'm Juliana. And we have something new and really exciting to bring for you in these next three months of podcasts. We've felt really prompted by the Holy Spirit to share with you some of our listeners. And so we'll have three listener episodes coming forth.
1: Yeah, we've been really moved in these years of podcasting by the reciprocal and mutually enriching, I would say, relationship that we've formed with um, many of you and through your emails to us, your messages on Instagram, meeting you in random places in person. I was once in a, a monastery in York and a woman walked by and had... Had to listen to the podcast. Anyway, these encounters that have really brought into our lives witnesses to what it means to follow Christ and be uh, a pilgrim soul on the journey, as it were, and people from all states of life and experiences of faith and ages and parts of the world. And so, yeah, so we felt moved to reach out to a few of these whose stories have struck us so that we can share with the rest of you some of the beauty and the density of Christian witness that pervades this companionship around us.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. Thank you, Sophia. I think one thing that's been perhaps most surprising to me about the podcast is how much of a two-way conversation it is. Because Mm -hmm. um, when we started, I mean, the way you think of a podcast is – you record something, and then you put it out to the world. Speak into the void. Exactly. <laughs> um, and as we've said before, when we started, we, we thought that nobody except for my mom would listen, and um, she yeah. does. But then all these other people started listening too. And they started writing to us and telling us about their experiences, and we started learning from them and just realizing this friendship um, that the Holy Spirit has has built up in in such a surprising and miraculous way. Um, yeah. And I think when I hear from our listeners' experiences, I realize just the richness of the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in the world, just its complexity, and just the intensity of Christ's pursuit of every single heart. Every single heart mm-hmm. has an encounter, has a story to be told, and every one is um, the story of salvation history all over again. And so we wanted to just kind of formally open this dialogue and share it with all of you.
0: Yeah, I have found these conversations so enriching i was only present at one of them and have listened to the other two and i'm struck again by the infinite faces of christ before me and just like there's many rooms mm-hmm. in my father's house he makes himself present in every one of our mm-hmm. c- circumstances and they're all distinct
1: but also simple well put i was reflecting on the cloud of witnesses prompted by a recent retreat that I was on and that line from the letter to the Hebrews that describes the saints this way as a cloud. And the priest that I was listening to was saying that the Lord gives us this cloud because he's like the sun. We can't look at the sun and see it because our mortal eyes, our wounded eyes are so weak. And so he gives us this cloud in front of him, in between us and the sun, mediating his light so that it's Visible to us so that we can perceive it and thus enter into that cloud and discover who we are in the midst of that cloud. And in listening to our listeners and engaging in dialogue with them in these three episodes, I've had that experience of the pervasive and all encompassing embrace of God who reaches us through this cloud, invites us into this cloud, and that this is a truer reflection of my ultimate identity because it's a reflection of my calling Mm. than any other other voices that there might be
2: and what a mercy too that god has given us this cloud and has given Mm -hmm. us these faces around us to help us see him but also to encourage us um and, and help us on our own pilgrimages yeah well our first
1: episode we're going to be sharing with you today is with a friend of ours, Father Matt, uh, who's currently in Phoenix. And then we'll be sharing with you the story of Jess from Florida and finally Catherine from Virginia. This three-part episode will include a media recommendation and a weekly challenge, but this time they'll be offered by our listeners. So stay tuned for that.
2: And let us know about your feedback on these episodes. Um, we would be, ha- if you guys like them, we would be happy to turn it into a longer, a longer series. Um, so this is a bit of an experiment for us, and uh, we're looking forward to hearing what you think.
1: Father Matt, welcome
3: to the podcast. Thank you for having me.
1: I'm delighted to have you on. I was really eager. You were the first person who came to mind when we decided to do this episode because um, for a while now, I think it's been about a year. uh, You've been a companion uh, on the journey. It started, I think, our friendship started from uh, your sharing of recommendations of reading you thought I would like, and then eventually uh, your own writing and a beautiful style. Your voice really comes through, and I've been struck and edified by, uh, I mean, the way that you write, but the faith that animates your writing, your ability to put words to your life of faith. And and in particular, I feel like in this last year, it's been a really tense and a bit tumultuous time in the church. And I've been struck by your love of the church in the midst of that. And it's a, it's a clear-eyed love, like very aware of her human reality and uh, some of the difficult things that are going on. But animated by this deep certainty that this is God's method in the world. And for me, seeing this unity of realism and love in you has been a great source of hope for me as I think about the church in the States and my friends who are priests. And um, yeah, so first of all, just very grateful for the way that your friendship is bearing fruit in, in my life. But secondly, of course, this stirred a curiosity in me. How can Father Matt be like this, right? It's clearly you've met Christ, you know, otherwise it's impossible to look at the church with this gaze and to look at the priesthood with this gaze. So I'm glad to have you on and to have the privilege of sharing your story, some of your story with our listeners. Um, And I'm wondering if we could begin by, well, first, if you would just tell us who and where you are, but then like, how did you get there? Where did you meet? Christ, and how did he become a compelling presence for you in this way?
3: Sure. Thank you so much for having me on. So I'm Father Matt Henry, and I'm from Phoenix, Arizona. I'm a priest of the Diocese of Phoenix, Arizona, and I'm from here, grew up here, all of those things. Um, Currently, I am the uh, rector at the cathedral, St. Simon and Jude Cathedral, and then I also teach once a week at the new seminary that uh, Bishop Dolan here in Phoenix mm. is starting in the Diocese of Phoenix. And so it's really amazing to be a part of that. To go back, 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 uh, I would say first meeting Christ for me in in a, in a real profound way happened probably when I was 14 years old and I was on uh, a retreat. I went to a parish mm. with a very strong youth group. It was a life teen program for those who know that. And uh, just in an experience on the retreat of Eucharistic adoration, had this profound encounter with Christ present in the Eucharist. And I would say it just started from there. And so many things, gosh, so many things. And it wasn't a straight trajectory, um, but that was what got me started. And even at a, at a young age, when I was 16, um, I started praying evening prayer once a week with these two old ladies in the parish <laughs> that were praying vespers and <laughs> They invited, they invited me to come join them. So I was a 16-year-old high school kid, and I'd be playing basketball with friends, and then I'd duck over to the church to uh, pray evening <laughs> prayer with these ladies. And and from there, you know, started to come this, this desire for priesthood, this idea of priesthood. And um, I came into the mm-hmm. seminary at a young age, and uh, there's more to it. But that's, you know, that's kind of my start with Christ, very much the Eucharist, very much... Um, The Word of God, particularly the Psalms and and the Liturgy of the Hours, the Liturgy of the Church, um, these things were just staples Mm. in my life from very early on and continue to be, of course.
1: What was it that struck you on that retreat? Like, What had you been grappling with? What was your life like outside of that, that the presence of Christ in the Eucharist was something that you recognized as so exceptional?
3: It wasn't a dramatic conversion in the sense mm-hmm. that I was walking one way and all of a sudden I was walking the other way. I would say, not that I had this language when I was 14, but it was it was the transition from what, what Newman calls notional to real. Mm. Um, like a notional ascent to the faith of like, okay, yeah, these are the things I believe to real ascent to the faith, meaning there's a real person here that I'm that I'm in front of. And so I think it was Kind of maybe strange to for some people to think about it in this way, but it it was the encounter with a person yeah. in the Eucharist that was so moving to me that it, I thought, you know, I knew Jesus as as an idea or these prayers that we said or behaviors or things like that, but now this was Jesus really there mm-hmm. uh, in front of me in a way that I had never experienced before. Mm-hmm.
1: And you mentioned the vocational call grew, in a sense, organically from this experience of the Lord's presence in the church and your own participation in that life. Was there anything in your path of verification that was helpful for getting to the place of assenting to that call and really taking the step of entering the seminary?
3: Sure. I had the unique situation of being from a parish where seven young men in the space of a couple years entered the seminary from our same parish and six out of us, seven became priests all for the diocese of Phoenix. And so there was from the very beginning and it continues till today from the very beginning, a great companionship Mm -hmm. in the vocational journey. It's not everything, (laughs) but it's, but it's a big thing. And, and so I think I felt accompanied. It wasn't a strange thing, to ask these questions about vocation and about the priesthood yeah. and things. It was something very normal, as normal as it can be, or at least it was extraordinary that so many people <laughs> were were asking these questions at the same time. And so yeah. that that I think is something along with so many other things, but that's something I think that was exceptional about my my start on the vocational path.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It reminds me of something our listeners will know that Father Mike said on his episode about memory and desire, that for him, this was a beautiful grace given in his time of vocational discernment as well. And I'm I'm really grateful for it. I think that's, yeah, that's so beautiful. Um, from what I understand, you spent some time studying in Italy and that you met the movement. Is that where you met the movement? What Would you tell us that story of how you encountered the charism of Father Giussani?
3: Sure. Yes. Actually, I met communion and liberation in the United States mm. and actually in Phoenix. So it's a, it's a very strange story. And it was always my favorite thing to tell people when I lived in Italy. I was just in Italy for one year as a priest oh, okay. um, to do some extra studies in, in theology. But it was actually when I was in seminary and I was home in Phoenix uh, on a break. And I went to this coffee shop that was it was a coffee shop that kind of supported the work of a of a ministry here in Phoenix. So it was connected to the church, mm. Um, the, this coffee shop, but I found at the coffee shop a, a copy of Traces magazine, um, which is the CL magazine. And I had no idea anything about CL or anything about Father Giasani. But I read something in that Traces magazine that I just randomly found at this coffee shop. And was so struck by the way Father Giasani talked about the faith Mm. and talked about um, the encounter. I remember is the encounter of John and Andrew, something that Giasani talked about all the time. And I just, I was fascinated. And so I started reading just on my own. Father Giasani, I had no idea there was a movement or anything like that. And I was in seminary in Oregon at the time. And I just checked out books from the library, um, the religious sense, the origin of the Christian claim, why the church I never met anybody from the movement. (laughs) I just was fascinated by this guy, Giasani. And then I changed seminaries and went to seminary in Denver. And when I got to Denver, there was a professor at the seminary, uh, Joel Barstad. He was a layman at the time. Now he is ordained a priest, um, a Byzantine priest. There was something that struck me enough about him just to ask him kind of randomly, have you ever heard of this Giasani guy? And it happened that he was in the movement and he invited me to come to a school of community in Denver. So it was there that I started coming to the school of community. And I can't say that I understood much, as most people say when they come to CL. (laughs) Um, I understood much, but I was was really just struck by normal people with normal jobs, or sometimes also astrophysicists, (laughs) not (laughs) normal people, but... Lots of physicists um, who wanted to know Christ' present in their life every day, yeah. not because they were trying to become priests or living a consecrated life, what but because Christ had fascinated them in some way. And over time, the way that i that I began to describe this is I had known the faith for a long time as a, what? The answer to a question like what the church says, what the church teaches what the faith is. But when I met CL, it was really the first time that I started asking, because I was seeing it, I started asking the question, where? Mm-hmm. Where is faith happening? Where is faith mm-hmm. being lived? Where is Christ happening? And it was really, there've been many revolutions in my life, but that was a revo- revolution for me that faith is a matter, yes, of what, mm-hmm. um, but it's also a matter of where. Where is he happening now? And And to start asking that question was was so big for my life and really is what has kept me in the movement all these years. So I, I met CL in 2005, so it's been almost 20 years.
1: Wow. What a grace. I imagine your following over those years has, at least speaking from my own experience, uncovered that, well, Pope, one of the things Pope Francis said to us last year during an audience that the movement had with him was that the majority of the charism remains to be discovered, that there's an infinite depth to what Giussani left us that we have yet to really receive and make our own and use to bear fruit in the world. Incredibly provocative, right? And I think that's true. But but to take an additional step, like, that's true because for all of us, the majority of Christ remains to be discovered, that he is this – infinite wellspring that we can never drink enough of and never exhaust. And so, but the way that I see that is through the charism. Like, I can't tell you how many times I go to school of community and I'm sometimes like I'm corrected by the other people there, but just discovering again, as if for the first time, oh my gosh, there's another way of looking at life and I can learn it. I can be converted in my mind by staying, as you were saying, in this place. Um, so yeah, so over these two decades, like, wow, how beautiful that, that you've remained faithful. And so I'm sure have grown in your knowledge of Christ and your life with him in these two decades, where has life taken you? What form now does your following of Christ take? Uh, you mentioned you're the rector now at the cathedral, but day to day, what are your responsibilities like and where is it that your relationship with Christ is most nourished?
3: Well, I, I would have to say that I can't really talk about what's happening today (laughs) without talking about what's happened over the last seven or eight years, Mm, I would say. So, um, from January, 2016 to January, 2023, I was actually away from the priesthood. Mm -hmm. My path is not a normal path. (laughs) Um, and in that time away from the priesthood, and I stepped away for, for a number of different reasons. And, the reasons kind of changed over the years. But um, I learned so much about myself. I learned so much about Christ. I learned so much about life and the way things affected me and can affect me and all of these things. Of course, I want to talk about it, but there'd be too much to say say all of it. But um, I just think that there's been such a transformation. And so this last little bit that I've been back in the ministry is just been like trying to figure out what is what is life as a priest like now with this big break with this big you know very long sabbatical yeah. <laughs> or maybe i would say um like a second seminary you know like i did all the work that i should have done the first time and so what is priesthood now and what does it look like now and sometimes i can find myself comparing from what I can remember, how things are now to how things were before. Mm. And I would say the easiest um, word to use to describe what my life is like now, or at least what I aspire to be, is to use a phrase of Pope Francis or a word of Pope Francis, the word accompaniment. Mm. And I'll give an example just because it's easy for me to compare how I was before as a priest to how I, I am now. Recently, I had a couple call me because strange things were happening in their apartment. Mm. (laughs) And they wanted the priest to come and bless their apartment, you know. And in the past, my way of dealing with such things is I would go, I'd bless the apartment, I'd pray with the family. And then I'd be say to myself, oh, I'm glad that's over. (laughs) And I would go on to the next thing I had to do because I have 50 things I have to do, you know. And I found myself when this couple called me, with the deep desire to stay with them in some way, you know, this is a couple that they were very far from the church. They had a child, they weren't married. They were not really, or maybe just barely interested in having the child baptized all of these things. And I thought to myself, if not me, then who Mm -hmm. is going to stay with them, you know? And so I went to their house and I prayed with them and we talked and I blessed their house and all of these things. But then I asked if we could exchange phone numbers. And asked if it was okay if we stayed in touch with each other. And so I texted a few days later and said, Hey, have those strange things stopped happening at your house? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I texted again and said, Hey, were you guys thinking you might want to get your baby baptized? Let's talk about that. Oh, and here's the number, here's the number for the priest who's closest to where you live, because they weren't in my mm. parish boundaries. They had somehow gotten a hold of me. But I said, Here's the number of the priest close to to where you live, and, and he wants to look. Um, to ask you and then continue to call them and continue to walk with them and continue to give them. I I took a picture of a prayer that I was really moved by and I sent it to them and I said, here, maybe this is something you guys could start praying, you know, Mm -hmm. and just to Mm -hmm. my, that is so, so different. It's hard to explain. That is so, so different from however I operated as a priest before, because, you know, you have a million things to do and it's easy to say to want things to be wrapped up, tied up and, move on with your life. Like, yeah, I did that funeral. I'm done with that family. I did that baptism I've done with that family. And I've been finding both at the level of desire, but also just that it's been working out such that I remain in contact with people and I'm calling to check in on people and mm-hmm. people come to mass and they say hi to me. And we talk for a little while and all of these things. And Maybe other priests lived that way before. I know I didn't live that way before, and so it's just been a beautiful gift to be able to. I, I think the word of Pope Francis is correct: accompany. You know, yeah, um, to accompany people, and it's it's so open ended in the sense that who knows where that will end, what that will end up doing in someone's life. You know, mm-hmm. but the the point is to, to recognize them as given, to recognize them as given. Anyway, I, that. That explains my day.
1: (laughs) That's beautiful. That's beautiful because, yeah, it's such a true gaze on reality that that others are given to you as signs of the mystery and as gift, as you said, and not as tasks or obstacles, which I think is, yeah, is a, a tendency that we all have, this gaze, but especially when the demands, like the demands on priests, when the demands are... Uh, intense and come as quickly as they do. Um, and I'm moved. I'm reminded of the way that I've seen several doctors practice medicine. Part of my job now in Boston is um, involves going into a hospital and talking to patients. And there's one doctor in particular who I've seen accompany his patients in a way that goes so far beyond the strict boundaries of the demands of his profession and not in an inappropriate way but just genuinely caring for that his patients recover not just that he performs his small part in that process that our currently hyper specialized medical system requires him to but that he genuinely desires to see these people have life and so even though he's sometimes at his wit's end with so much to do he he makes that call or he takes that email and and what I see in him is that this is actually what regenerates his vocation to medicine and prevents it from becoming just a checklist of procedures to perform. And that's been educative for me too, in looking at you know, the analyses that I'm running or um, the tasks that I'm performing the day. Like, am I asking for everything in this? Am I asking for Christ to come to me completely in this? Which, yeah, we're recording in the season of Advent, and this is one of my great intentions for this season is to ask the Lord to help me grow in this um, awaiting, awaiting him in everything. Like the first reading said um, yesterday, asking the Lord that he might find us mindful of him when he comes, you know, and like how else can that happen? But Mm -hmm. in, Mm -hmm. in the interaction with every single person we talk to and every book we read and everything that we do, like, but keeping in mind the whole that becomes flesh in this particular um, anyway, I digress, but thank you for sharing that. That's really beautiful and
3: uh, <laughs> no it, i think I think that that life has become so much more intense, you know mm. so much more intense uh for me, and it's the result of a whole lot of things, a whole lot of prayer, a whole lot of therapy, <laughs> yeah. a whole yeah. lot of grace, all of these things you know but uh but life has become so much more intense and it's it's really. I've been given this gift to be able to compare what things were like before and what things are like now, you know, with this huge gap in the middle. (laughs) Yes.
1: Which is such a source of freedom that I mean because it's so conducive to forming a judgment. But it sounds like so, yeah, prayer, therapy, friendship. It sounds like another element of your life though in these years has also been studies. So I'd love to hear about your doctorate and um, what you find beautiful that you're discovering through your vocation to scholarship.
3: Sure. Yes, I've always had a love for for the intellectual life for studies. When I was first ordained after about 3 years as a priest, I went to Rome to do a licentiate and I I came home early from that. I didn't finish the licentiate because both of my parents were sick. I ended up mm-hmm. losing both of my parents. They had cancer and I lost both of my parents, but Um, So I was kind of on that track and then I got off that track. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then in my time away from ministry, I knew I loved teaching and I knew I wanted to teach. And so I kind of decided because I could to go do a Ph.D. And so I am doing a Ph.D. in English literature at the University of Dallas, which is an amazing school. It's Mm -hmm. been an amazing experience. And uh, so I finished there after four years of studies, I finished there. And now I'm all but dissertation. So wow. I'm working on my dissertation, while at the same time trying to do pre stuff <laughs> and all of those, those things. And, and uh, what I ended up focusing on, I've always been fascinated by 19th century literature, British literature. So that's kind of my my area. But the question that that really fascinated me the most is the transformation of Christianity in the 19th century. It's not only the 19th century, but in the 19th century, kind of in the larger cultural world, at least in England, where you have a dogmatic Christianity is lost. Mm -hmm. And many people lose their faith, mostly because of um, biblical studies, historical studies in the Bible, all of those things, where dogmatic Christianity kind of goes away. And a lot of people... In the 19th century, one example would be someone like George Eliot, who I love. She's one of my favorite um, novelists. Her understanding is that, okay, we've lost the dogma, but let's keep the morality. Mm. Because Christian morality is still a good way of life. It's still an inspiration, but we've we've lost the dogma. Um, and that's a very common view. And it's kind of this secularization of Christianity, yeah. you know. I've always had a problem with that, as you could probably understand from from my being in the movement of communion and liberation where <laughs> Giasani rails against Christianity being reduced to a mm-hmm. morality. And so I kind of was looking for voices in the 19th century that did something different than that. Now the big one in the English speaking world is Newman. Yes. Newman um wants to defend at all costs, wants to defend dogmatic Christianity as as the source for moral <laughs> behavior, as the as the fuel for moral behavior. but but And so I ended up focusing not on Newman, but on one of his converts, I would say, or at least fo- so Gerard Manley Hopkins, who was received into the Catholic Church when he was still at Oxford, was received into the Catholic Church by Newman, went on to become a Jesuit, a poet, all of those things. And so I am focusing on a Christian poetics and a Christian dogmatic poetics. I also have this this love for, and this will sound kind of funny, this love for Friedrich Nietzsche, oh, who is not English literature and who is not in it. But, but Nietzsche saw through uh, the same thing that Newman saw through and Hopkins saw through. And so Nietzsche goes the opposite direction, though. Yeah. He says, okay, if we lose Christian dogma, then we have to get rid of Christian morality as well. Right. And we need to build our lives on a new worldview And we need a new morality because the old morality of Christianity cannot exist anymore once it's severed from its dogmatic roots. And so Nietzsche speaks to my heart, even though I don't agree with what he came up with. But his his main critiques of Christianity, in my opinion, are critiques of um, this reduced form of Christianity Mm -hmm. that he saw that wasn't just in England. It was in Germany. It was throughout Europe in the 19th century, this reduced form of Christianity. And so I'm putting Nietzsche, they're very strange um, conversation partners, but I'm putting Nietzsche and Hopkins in dialogue over this question of, is Christianity life-giving? And in what way is Christianity life-giving? Or is it, as Nietzsche says, life-denying? And in what ways does he mean that? And in what ways does Hopkins' vision answer that charge of Nietzsche that Christianity is life-denying?
1: Extraordinary.
3: So that's what I love spending my time doing when I'm not doing priestly work. <laughs> yes.
1: Wow, in the dissertation writing stage is such a joy. I mean, it's a cross, but it's such a joy too to watch in your own mind and heart all of these threads come together, all of these seeds that were planted um, begin to bear fruit. And yeah, so I'm very excited for you in this in this stage. I want They're- to correct
3: myself though and say, because it's priest it is priestly work the studies that I'm doing too. It's not on the side of my priestly work. Mm. It's very priestly work because everything is lived in this offering of my life to Christ in the priesthood. It's yeah. not I have my pastoral duties <laughs> and that's one expression of my priesthood, but another expression of my priesthood is the offering of of my intellect in this way for the service of the church. You
1: know? Yeah, absolutely. That's another thing that I think from That Drusani invites me to be converted in my gaze on reality um, is to understand the meaning of offering and what it means to live a life of faith in Christ that, as St. Paul says, everything I do in my body can be spiritual worship. And that's a really provocative invitation to see the unity between the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and the holy sacrifice of the mass with how it is that I'm sitting here in front of this Zoom screen with you and... Um, and everything else in between. Yeah, so that's beautiful. And I'm sure there are also probably practical ways you see it bearing fruit, maybe at least in homiletics. I imagine you have some interesting vocab words from Hopkins.
3: <laughs> yes, very good. Yes. Every now and then a line comes out.
1: <laughs> I love that.
3: Can I share? Real quick, I don't know if we have time for this, but I wanted to share how I came across the Pilgrim Soul across the podcast.
1: Oh, yeah, please.
3: Okay, so I love Italian. I read Italian every day. I try to keep up my Italian. I do a lot of translating of Italian stuff. Mm. And um, I was reading the communion and liberation website in Italian. And there was an article in the Italian version about this podcast called The Pilgrim Soul. And I said, how have I never heard this? And I have to take reading an article on the CL Italian website to find out about the Pilgrim Soul. So I started listening last Lent and... I was diligent. I went for a walk almost every day and caught up. And I listened to every single podcast. Wow. God bless you. Published. (laughs) Because on my walks during Lent every day. So anyway, I just wanted to share that, that somehow through Italy, I got to know about the Pilgrim Soul.
1: It's a bit of a roundabout way, but hey, any way that you, I mean, it's not the craziest one that we've heard. There are truly some random acts of providence <laughs> of like seeing stickers on water bottles, like the equivalent of your picking up the ma- the magazine in the coffee shop kind of way. So the Lord is creative. Sure. He brings us friends many ways. Um, yeah thank you I'm struck by a number of things that you shared, but I wonder as we wrap up our episode, in view of you know your new transition to being rector, your work on your dissertation, but also the broader landscape of your life in the movement, your return to active ministry in the priesthood, what are your what are your desires for the future what what are you asking of Christ?
3: Well, I'm just really excited to see what this experience this kind of for me new experience of accompaniment and accompanying people in my ministry what that will look like and if that can af- inform not just my ministry but the ministry of all of those who work in my parish the other priests the people who work at the parish what that would look like this is i'm just dreaming here so i don't know what but what would it look like if our mode of interacting with the people that come to us was this mode of accompaniment, Mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm. And of course in a parish, I don't know, that has 4,000 families. I don't know, but in a parish that has thousands of people in it, you can't accompany everyone, of course. But I think for a long time in the church, now I'm going to make generalizations, but there's this thought of, well, you can't have that kind of accompaniment with everybody. So you have that kind of accompaniment with nobody, Versus, let's see how many people we can accompany, yeah, and see what happens. You know, and there's phrases like spiritual multiplication and all of these things. Like, let's see what happens if we start training the people who work in the church and who are um, volunteering in the church and all of this to adopt accompaniment as their mode of ministering to to others versus paperwork, bureaucracy, tasks, whatever, you know, which is so easy to get into in the life of the church and in the life of the parish. So yes. I'm just kind of excited to see how far that could go, <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah. Which, I mean, it's, that's so beautiful. And it's the method of God, right? A preference for some for the sake of the whole. Yeah. And that he reveals himself to us through this preference and not in the first place through a, a bureaucracy. Um, Wow, what a gift. I'm very excited for your community there. And for all of us as we continue, I'll put a link in the show notes to your Substack, and really encourage our listeners to, um, to read that and um, to consider subscribing because I certainly gain very much from it, as I said at the start. But also towards that end, I'm wondering if you would offer our Listeners, a monthly challenge for this episode. Is there something that you would propose based on your own experience of what helps you grow in in relationship with Christ?
3: Sure. I think that I can tell the difference in my day, and this might have been a challenge on your show before. So um, <laughs> but I can tell the difference in my day when I do a good, examination. Mm. And when I don't do a good examination, and I'm speaking more like in the sense I do kind of an adapted version of the Ignatian examine where you kind of walk through your day with Jesus and kind of look at your day. You ask, sorry, for what you need to ask. Sorry for ask forgiveness for, and you give praise and thanks for what you want to give praise and thanks for. But I, I notice so clearly the difference in my day when I do that and when I don't do that. Mm. And so I just kind of throw that out. Um, I think it's a great, great spiritual practice for any time of year. So whenever this podcast (laughs) comes out, um, I think it's a great, a great spiritual practice because, because the Lord is there. It's not that God is absent. He's there and it's we who are absent and who don't notice him. And so just that practice, I think has been so helpful for me um, to stay aware of his presence in my life. Well put.
1: I wholeheartedly agree, and uh, and I'm very grateful to renew this invitation to all of our listeners to because it sets so beautifully the foundation for judging all of reality with this awareness of his presence, or at least the desire for the awareness of his presence. So, thank you, thank you, Father Matt. Certainly gave me many things to ponder, and I'm looking forward to sharing this episode with our listeners. Um, For all of you who are listening, if you have questions for Father Matt, you can write to us at pilgrimsoulpodcast at gmail.com and we will forward your questions and comments and objections his way. And um, we'll be back next month with another episode. In the meantime, please know of our prayers for you. And thank you for listening.